0: Well, hello again, this is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is episode 190, and today we are talking about endocarditis. So before we do that, I want to take a quick moment for a San Fam shout out, and this one goes out to Melissa. So Melissa is in my boot camp and has this to say. Boot camp from Straight Nursing was a great heads up before beginning the nursing program. I was so nervous about the unknown about nursing school. Once classes began, I realized I was even more prepared than I was hoping for especially with the nursing care plans. I was excited and nervous about starting care plans, and once we got started, I actually found that I enjoyed them. The care plan lessons really do just that. I recommend boot camp for anyone I know going into nursing school. Thanks, Nurse Mo, for all your help. Melissa, thank you so much for your kind words, and I'm so glad that the lessons on care plans made you not dread them like so many students seem to. I love care plans myself, and I'm just really glad that that helped you approach them with excitement and sounds like a little bit of joy and confidence as well. So if you're interested in learning about all the things that Melissa learned in boot camp, I will put the link in the episode notes because Boot Camp is on sale right now. So you can get those details in the episode notes below. Okay, are you ready to dive into endocarditis? So endocarditis is inflammation of the endocardium, which is that innermost layer of the heart, and It also includes the valve. So endocarditis can affect the valves as well. It is often a result of infection, but it can be a complication of rheumatic fever and systemic lupus erythematosus. So when endocarditis is caused by an infection, you will see it referred to as infective endocarditis or IE. So infective endocarditis is the most common form, and it's really, really difficult to treat and has a pretty high mortality rate of just over 35%. It's often due to staphylococcus aureus infection related to IV drug use or infection of a prosthetic valve. So infective endocarditis occurs when bacteria in the bloodstream attach to platelet fibrin adhesions that can develop at damaged areas of the endocardium or the valves. So the result is the formation of what we call vegetations that further damage the heart and can break off to cause embolism elsewhere in the body. The infection can further infiltrate the heart and the patient can have heart failure as a result, can have dysrhythmias, even heart block, and in a lot of cases, a severe infection leading to sepsis. So infective endocarditis, high mortality rate, difficult to treat, most often occurs related to IV drug use or infection related to a prosthetic Valve. So let's go through endocarditis using the Straight A Nursing Latte Method. And if you've downloaded the Latte Method template from the website, then you can kind of take notes and follow along as we go. So L stands for how does the patient look? What signs and symptoms are present? What are you noticing about this patient? So most patients who have endocarditis will have a fever. But note that in older patients or in patients who are immunocompromised, they could actually have a lower than normal body temperature. But most of the time, what you'll see is fever. And with that come all those associated symptoms like chills, fatigue, malaise, headache, and bone and muscle aches. The patient may also have something called splinter hemorrhages, and you can Google this and see the image, and splinter hemorrhages are black streaks on the nail beds, and this is caused by vessel damage related to inflammation or tiny, tiny, tiny clots in those really tiny capillaries, splinter hemorrhages, and then petechiae may be present in the sclera, lips, mouth on the feet and in elbow and knee creases. Janeway lesions, Janeway, J-A-N-E-W-A-Y. Janeway lesions are red and non-tender lesions, typically on the palms and the soles of the feet. And then a lot of times patients will have Osler's nodes. And these are kind of pea-sized subcutaneous nodules in the fingertips, and then in the pads of the toes. Those are Osler's nodes. And then Roth spots are retinal hemorrhages that have a pale center. So already there's a lot of things that you might see on your patient that could clue you in to this endocarditis being present. The splinter hemorrhages, petechiae, Janeway lesions, Osler's nodes, and Roth spots. And then if you're listening to your patient who has endocarditis, you'll probably hear a systolic murmur, and it's likely that the patient will have some signs of heart failure. That could be things like edema and lower blood pressure. Stroke symptoms could be present since the embolic events so that vegetation breaking off, those embolic events occur in over half of patients with infective endocarditis. Now, the embolus can travel anywhere in the body, but the brain is the most commonly affected organ. So the patient could have stroke symptoms. So that is the L4 endocarditis, how the patient kind of looks, how they present, what you notice about them. A is for Assess. How do you assess and what do you assess for a patient who has endocarditis? So it's really important that you get or somebody gets a thorough health history so that risk factors for endocarditis can be identified. You also want to assess for any previous occurrence of infective endocarditis. And the risk factors for it are IV drug use, prosthetic valves, any valve or heart disease, so any disease of the valves or congenital heart disease, patients on immunosuppressant therapy, always going to be at risk for some kind of infection, recent surgery or other invasive procedures. You also want to get a full set of vital signs knowing that patients with endocarditis can develop sepsis. So, With sepsis, severe sepsis, you're going to see things like fever, tachypnea, tachycardia, and possibly hypotension with that. Pulmonary edema, secondary to heart failure, will result in low oxygen saturation levels. So you'll be getting an oxygen saturation level with your vitals, and they could also have tachypnea with that as well. So you want to get that full set of vital signs. A 12-lead EKG can be done to determine if any dysrhythmias are present. You'll be listening to the heart. Again, systolic murmurs are the most common. And you also want to listen to their lungs. Again, heart failure often accompanies endocarditis. And if your patient has heart failure, you need to think about possibility of pulmonary edema, and if they have pulmonary edema and fluid is backing up into their lungs, you'll hear crackles, coarse lung sounds, abnormal lung sounds. With heart failure patients, you always want to keep a close eye on their weight, and it's recommended that taking daily weights is the best way to determine if there's been a sudden influx of fluid, which can lead to pulmonary edema. So daily weights assess for fluid retention associated with heart failure, and then you also want to assess the patient for bone and muscle pain. So the first T in latte is for tests. What tests can you expect to be ordered for your patient? So an echocardiogram, which we usually just call an echo, will show vegetations valve disruptions, and ineffective ventricular action. So if heart failure is present, an echo will calculate the ejection fraction, which is reduced in people who have heart failure. A normal ejection fraction is typically between about 55 and 70%. I want to say the lowest ejection fraction I've ever seen is about 10 to 15%, and those patients are typically very, very sick. Blood cultures will show the presence of a systemic infection, and ESR, erythrocyte sedimentation rate, and C-reactive protein will be elevated in inflammatory states, which often occurs hand-in-hand with any kind of infection. So as the MD works the patient up for a diagnosis of endocarditis, he or she will likely use something called the Duke criteria. And for infective endocarditis to be present, the patient must meet either two major criteria of the Duke list, one major criteria plus three minor criteria, or Five minor criteria. So there are online calculators that they can put all this information in and it kind of calculates out, yes, your patient probably has endocarditis. The major criteria are positive blood cultures from at least two separate cultures drawn 12 hours apart And evidence of infective endocarditis on echocardiogram, and that would be vegetation, abscesses, or valve perforation. And the other major criteria is a new regurgitant murmur. And then the minor criteria are, and there's a lot of these, predisposing heart condition, such as a mitral valve prolapse, rheumatic heart disease, or congenital heart disease, or IV drug abuse, so any of those things would be an indicator of a minor criteria, a temperature greater than 100.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius, the presence of some kind of embolic disease or hemorrhage, presence of immunological phenomena such as glomerulonephritis, Osler's nodes, Roth spots, or rheumatoid factor, positive blood culture that doesn't meet the major criteria, but you have a positive blood culture, and then positive echocardiogram that maybe doesn't necessarily meet the major criteria, but you have an echocardiogram showing heart dysfunction, and a chest x-ray showing cardiomegaly, and or an ECG showing first or second degree AV block. So you guys don't have to diagnose heart failure and determine if they have it. I just want you to kind of know what these things are because you're going to be seeing these tests being conducted. So T is for treatments. What treatments are provided for someone with endocarditis? So the treatment for endocarditis is going to be dependent on what is causing that underlying infection. So antibiotics obviously are used for bacterial infection and are typically needed for several weeks. These infections are very hard to treat. If a valve is infected, the valve will likely be replaced as soon as it possibly can with follow-up antibiotics or antifungals as needed. Some individuals who are high risk for endocarditis could be receiving prophylactic antibiotics when they undergo surgery or even dental procedures. These high-risk people are those who have prosthetic valves, a history of infective endocarditis, maybe they have congenital heart defects, or have received a heart transplant. So you may see some people getting prophylactic antibiotics. So E in LATTE stands for EDUCATE. How do you educate the patient and the family about endocarditis? So you definitely want to teach these patients who are at high risk about avoiding people with infections. They really need to do their best to stay healthy. They need to get adequate rest and inform their dentist or healthcare practitioner before any invasive procedures because they may want to order that prophylactic antibiotic. If a patient is an IV drug user, You can educate them on the importance of quitting and offer referrals for drug rehabilitation. A social work consult, if that is available to you in your facility, can be very, very helpful in this regard. Since these patients are on antibiotics for weeks at a time, it will be important to teach them medication adherence. And any expected side effects. And a lot of times with antibiotics, those side effects are related to GI issues, right? Okay, you also want to educate patients to notify their healthcare provider if their fever is persistent after the antibiotics have started. This could indicate that they're not on the right antibiotic for their particular infection. You also want to teach the warning signs of possible complications from an embolism, such as sudden shortness of breath, mental status changes, signs of stroke or chest pain. Those would be some common embolism signs, you know, pulmonary, mental, uh, stroke, cardiac, et cetera. Okay, how about we do a little bit of pod quizzing? For our endocarditis subject. So with pod quizzing, I ask a question, pause a little bit, give you time to answer, and then I tell you the answer. And if you like this as a form of review, I will have the link below in the show notes for my whole podcast that's basically dedicated to pod quiz episodes, and it's called Study Sesh. And we have about a 100 Episodes of pod quizzes, plus there's some other different types of episodes. Total number of episodes currently, right now, is 115. So I will put the link in the episode notes for how you can get your hands on that. So let's do a little bit of pod quizzing questions. What is the innermost layer of the heart called? The endocardium. Very, very good. What is the mortality rate of infective endocarditis? Just over 35%. And then what kind of infection is infective endocarditis commonly due to? What pathogen, I guess I should say? Staphylococcus aureus. Very good. And then what about prosthetic valves? How does that come into play with infection risk? Patients with prosthetic valves are going to be high risk for infective endocarditis. So when we're looking at our patient with infective endocarditis, what are the black streaks on the nail beds called? splinter hemorrhages and what are those caused by that is vascular damage related to inflammation or tiny little clots perfect in those small capillaries what are the red non-tender lesions on the palms and the soles of the feet Those were called Jane Way lesions. And then what are the retinal hemorrhages that have a pale center? Roth spots. Very good. What are the pea-sized subcutaneous nodules in the fingertips and pads of the toes? Those are called Osler's nodes. And then, what type of murmur is likely to be present in your patient with endocarditis? A systolic murmur. Very, very good. Why do you want to weigh your patient with infective endocarditis daily? Because they likely have some heart failure and. A daily weight is a great way to observe if the patient has sudden fluid volume overload. Very good. What is a normal ejection fraction percent? Normal is between 55 and 70%. And then when the MD is working up the patient for endocarditis, there was a criteria. What is it called? That was the Duke criteria. Very, very good. Okay, excellent work, you guys. You did a little pod quizzing. We went through the latte method for endocarditis. You have kind of the basics that you need to know to take care of these patients on an exam, in a case study, in sim lab, in clinical, and if you're a nurse, working at the bedside. So let's talk about what is coming up next week. And next week on the podcast, we have a deep dive into hypoglycemia. So I started out writing this podcast episode, and I was going to talk about hypoglycemia and kind of compare it against hyperglycemia. And I quickly realized there's so much to talk about just with hypoglycemia. Let's focus on that. And then I'm going to do a hyperglycemia deep dive coming up in a few weeks. So next week, I will see you here for hypoglycemia. See you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.